This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode was pre-recorded as part of a live continuing education webinar. On-demand CEUs are still available for this presentation through all CEUs. Register at allceus.com slash counselor toolbox. I'd like to welcome everybody to today's presentation on happiness habits. A lot of times when we think about counseling and we go to these counseling seminars and CEU classes and everything else. We're talking about how to treat um, distress, how to treat things that are making people unhappy. Well, but what are they doing if they're not unhappy? Well, part of that is happy. So we're talking about um, helping people figure out what the opposite of unhappy is for them and what's life going to look like and how can they keep this happiness train going, if you will. So we're going to learn why these habits in particular contribute to recovery from addiction and mood issues. And we know that people with addictions typically have underlying mood issues. And there's been a lot of research out there that has shown that there's about, you know, a 47% overlap of people, um, who have uh, addiction and mood issues. So we may be seeing people um, in our practice, in a mental health practice, who have some addiction issues, whether it's nicotine addiction or um, gambling or sex addiction or something else. Um, so we're going to talk about how to help clients implement these, because we can talk about them till we're blue in the face, but they're like, well, being aware and authentic is great, but how do I do that? So we'll talk about that. Um, Awareness and authenticity, acceptance, gratitude, compassion, breathing. Guess what? You're a lot happier if you're actually breathing. No-brainer no there. Purposeful action and long-term goals. Backtalk, and I love backtalk when I'm the one doing it, not the one receiving it. Um, thought conditioning and being sensational. So we'll, we'll go into each one of those. Awareness and authenticity. Now, this is one of those clinical meta concepts or whatever that uh, we talk about a lot but what does it mean it means to help people get their needs and wants met but in order to do that they have to first be aware of them so to live authentically to live in a way that helps people get their needs and wants met and be true to themselves they first have to know what that means what is it that they need and want so i encourage my clients to practice mindfulness Asking themselves three times a day before each meal. Um, and I like to anchor it with something that they do pretty much every day because, you know, then it's not so hard to remember. It's not like at 1030 in the, in the morning when you take your coffee break, do this. Coffee breaks, I don't know about you, but for me, they don't always happen. Um, and I've got six other things. If, it, if I have something that's kind of part of my routine, like washing your hands before you eat, um, then it becomes more second nature. And I want people to check in with themselves throughout the day because how they feel when they get up in the morning may be very different than the how, how they feel at noon or how they feel at five. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's worse. You know, they could get up, and I know this happens to me a lot um, because I have allergies. So I, I wake up in the morning and I'm like a little stuffy and a little groggy and having a difficult time kind of getting kick-started. But I go to the gym and after after that and getting cleaned up and getting to the office, I'm usually feeling a lot better by noon. So um, actually by 1030 or 11. So, uh, you know, what I needed at 8 a.m. is very different and, and what my wants are at that point. At 8 a.m. I was wanting to go back to bed. 
So have clients figure out when they're going to ask themselves these basic questions. What is it that I need right now? You know, there's a lot of things I may want, but what is it that I really need? And, you know, for me, like I said, getting up in the morning, I know that if I get my blood moving, and this isn't true for everybody, but for me, if I exercise in the morning and get my blood moving and then take a nice hot shower, it kind of gets me jump-started. Um, so what do your clients need, you know, when they first get up in the morning, when they, at lunchtime? You know, and they can look back over their morning and see kind of how it went. Look towards the afternoon, what's upcoming. So what do you need to do right now? Um, helps people get regrounded. And then also ask themselves what vulnerabilities they currently have. And, you know, that's a whole different class. But vulnerabilities are those things that make you more prone to react strongly to stressors that, Come, in, come into your path. So if you're overtired, if you're sick, if your nutrition is poor and you're not making enough neurotransmitters so you're feeling kind of depressed, if you've got a million and one balls in the air and you're trying to juggle too much and you feel overwhelmed, you may feel more vulnerable. You may be kind of like right on the precipice and the next thing that comes along is going to be the straw that broke the camel's back. If you identify this, then, or if you have clients pay attention, then they can figure out how do you mitigate that. So if a client knows, hey, it's been a rough morning, I don't know that I can take much more, what do I need right now at lunch to mitigate stress for the rest of the day? What can I do? And that may be closing your door so people aren't barging in all the time. Or, you know, what, what is it that they need to do? So when you're stressed, what can you do to help protect yourself from an onslaught of any additional stress or negativity. And you can't prevent it, but you can, you know, protect yourself. You can avoid, you know, maybe if you've had a really long day, you can avoid driving home in the middle of rush hour traffic. You can try to get your work done in a timely manner. So maybe you can get out a little bit before rush hour and not have to fight with people. Um, or sometimes if, if we work in... Um, Nashville, by 3.30, traffic is tied up. So if we're there past 3.30 in Nashville, we'll just stay and eat dinner in Nashville, and then we'll come home so we miss that rush hour instead of sitting for two and a half hours on Interstate 40. So asking people, what is it that you need right now? How can you mitigate any stressors that you're feeling? If you're already feeling tired, what can you do? I'm not going to suggest you know, reaching for caffeine, but a lot of people do. Um, maybe going out and getting a walk to oxygenate your blood. Um, but encourage people to brainstorm, you know, what are their common vulnerabilities? And, and, you know, for me, a lot of times I get kind of this sleepy lag a couple of times during the day, and that's a vulnerability for me. Um, so how can I mitigate that? And I'd make a list of the things that I can do to help myself wake up. How can you prevent these vulnerabilities? So, I mean, ideally, we would prevent them and not ever have to deal with them. Um, so helping clients look at how are they living right now? What are they doing to give them themselves the best chance for having a happy day? And encouraging them to brainstorm, why is it important to prevent these vulnerabilities? Why is it important to not la watch that last episode of whatever series you're watching on Netflix so you can get an extra hour of sleep? Why is it important to try to eat healthfully? Um, why is it important to do these things um, in terms of managing your stress and, and depression and everything? Um, so I really want them to dig deep and see that prevention is a lot more effective than, than intervention. You know, let's avoid getting stressed out to begin with, and then we can avoid a bunch of other problems. What else do you do to encourage awareness and, and or authenticity in your clients? While you're thinking about that, uh, living authentically means living in a way that's true to yourself. So like I said earlier, before clients can be authentic, they have to know what Everything means to them. What makes them happy? What are their needs? So I have clients define what makes them happy. How will their thoughts and outlook change when they are happy? So it's a matter of talking about, you know, 
imagine you woke up tomorrow and you had achieved your goal of a rich and meaningful life or happiness or whatever they're calling it. How are your thoughts and outlook different? I know for me, when I'm in a good mood, my thoughts tend to be more positive and rose-colored and, you know, whatever. Um, and when I'm in a bad mood, I tend to be much more um, in introspectively, negatively focused. And I focus on all the things that I'm not getting done. Um, what's the impact of happiness on your health and body? So, you know, I want to look at... Um, when somebody is, you know, we can start with when you feel depressed or anxious, if you want to start there, what's the effect on your health and your body, your energy, sleep, weight, pain, illness. Um, but then I want them to look and see when you're happy, what's the effect? Because um, a lot of people find they have more energy, they sleep better, their weight normalizes, um, they feel less pain because they're not having a lot of muscle tension, um, and they get sick less easily uh, because their immune system is stronger since they don't have their HPA axis constantly engaged. Um, this is where I hope they're going to go when, when we start talking about this, but I try to do it through Socrat Socratic questioning. When you're happy... Who do you see in your support system, and what will your relationships be like? So thinking about, you know, you have the support system of these people right now. When you're happy, is it going to be the same support system? Or are there other people that you're going to bring into it? Are there people that are going to leave? Who's important in your happy support system? And what are your relationships going to be like? Thinking again about the impact of um, being depressed, anxious, angry all the time on relationships um, and communication and all that stuff, how might your relationships improve? What will be different in your day-to-day -day life, hobbies and activities when you're happy? Because if you're freeing up all this energy, you're probably going to want to do something with it. I know I have a real bad habit of doing that. When I free up some energy, I end up taking on another task. I got two of the most adorable fosters yesterday, um, adult cats actually. But anyway, I digress. And how can you start making these things happen? And I talk about the principle of reciprocity. When you start doing things positively in one area, like putting in relaxation time or eating better or sleeping better, it's going to likely have reciprocal positive effects on every other area of your life. And when those things start going better, guess what? You're probably going to continue to sleep even better and feel better and feel happier and stay moving towards your goals. So I'd asked you guys what you use for to help your clients with awareness and authenticity. Um, the client, somebody said that they have their clients share experiences of happiness and what specifically contributed to that experience. So look back in your past and think about when you, when you were happy before. What, what was going on? What was different? You know, was it the people? Was it the place? Was it what you were doing? Was it your priorities? Was it your health? You know, let's look at what was different and what made you happy what triggered that happy reaction um and can we do that again i've shared before that for me and, and i know we waste a lot of bandwidth on it but cat videos um you know make me smile there's this one video with a uh i don't know what kind of bird it is it's a big bird and he uh he has these wings and he covers his head and it, the voiceover says nighttime and he opens his wings and it says Daytime, nighttime, daytime. I don't know why I find that so freaking amusing, but I love watching him do that. Um, so sometimes it doesn't take much to make people laugh. And if you're laughing, you're reducing uh, or you're introducing those happy chemicals. Um, uh, another person suge suggested uh, connecting to trees and their roots and the sun uh, sometimes work wonders. Well, we know, we don't know how it works, but we know in the parts of the brain that are responsible for mood, there are a lot of vitamin D receptors. So, and sun is our vitamin D producer, so to speak. So sun is definitely helpful. It also helps set circadian rhythms. And connecting with nature, um, you know, the trees and the roots are, are important. And even thinking meta-concept-wise about the trees, you know, they grow up and they need the sunlight and then, but they also eat, you know, they get their food from where they're grounded. So what kind of food are you getting where you're grounded right now? I mean, you can do a whole 
talk. You can do a whole hour on that probably. Um, if you, if you draw the, draw the tree out, that's a cool idea. Um, I'm going to try that. So, um, all right. Okay. So other people watch cat videos. I do feel validated. Um, my husband looks at me like I'm, I'm nuts. Fighting against things that are unchangeable or not realistically changeable by you wastes a ton of energy. So, you know, yes, people can change. Yes, um, we can change. You know, the Republicans are all infighting right now um, and about who's voting for what and all that. You can get all caught up in that. But in reality, is one person probably going to be able to change that right now? Maybe not. So what can you do? And then leave it at that. You can make sure you vote. You can um, educate other people um, about your opinions. And then they can decide for themselves. But you can't change them. They have to choose to do that. We can't change feelings. And I know you're like, well, what do people come to counseling for? Feelings are a natural reaction. Your body tells you there may be a threat. Or that was really awesome. Let's do it again. Or that sucks that we lost that. So you got um, ang anger and anxiety, happiness and depression, and the permutations therein. Um, we feel those. We can't change them because they were kind of an automatic reaction. What we can do is improve the next moment and maybe change how we react to that situation the next time. We can't change other people. I don't need to belabor that point. Um, and there are certain situations we can't change. So we want to look at it and say, okay, how can we work on accepting that this is? Maybe you were diagnosed with um, Lyme disease. You know, I, I try to stay away from cancer because that can be devastating. Well, that is devastating. Um, but, you know, let's stay a little bit more up and let's talk about Lyme disease. <laughs> People with Lyme disease have to be careful to uh, get plenty of rest, not tax their immune system. They sometimes have some swelling in their joints and stuff, um, so they have to follow their treatment protocol. Now, you can get upset about it, and you can be ticked off about it, but it's not going to make it any better. Matter of fact, it's probably going to make you have a, a upsurgence of symptoms. So how can you accept the fact that this is the way it is? And uh, I have a friend who has Lyme disease, and we were talking about it one day, and he's like, you know what? I just know that when I start feeling like I need, need to rest, I need to rest, or it's going to knock me on my ass. And it, it just is what it is. And if I pay attention to it, then I don't have major problems. It's if I start trying to ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist, that it rears its ugly head. So it's easier said than done to help clients accept have them accept the situation by saying, okay, it is what it is. What now? A lot of times when I tell them that, they look at me and like, that's no, that's not the answer I want. I want you to fix it. Or I want to be able to fix it. Sometimes, some things aren't fixable. So we look at the situation and we take a breath and we say, okay, what now? How can I either change the situation, which sometimes we can, or change my feelings of the situation so I'm not fighting against it. Um, some examples, if when people break up, you know, sometimes a breakup is a breakup and you can't control that other person. You can't make them love you again. Um, and, and you can't necessarily make it go back. So instead of staying stuck, I mean, there's a grieving period, don't get me wrong, um, because it is a loss. But in, once you move through that grief period, the last part of depression uh, or last part of the grief process is acceptance. The person says, okay, this really happened. What now? What can I do to improve the next moment and continue working on the things that are important to me that I can control? Uh, the same thing can be said if you had a fight with a friend. Um, we talked about if you have a disease diagnosis. Another example is if, if you have a pet pass away. You know, some of us, our pets are our kids. And when they pass away, it is devastating. Um, and And... So when that happens, we need to figure out, okay, what now? You know, th this pet has passed on, and it, it sucks. We don't want to accept it. Go through the grieving process, yada, yada, yada. Fast forward, how do we accept it? Um, and I know with mine, I have a catalog of pictures 
and I keep it to remind me of all the wonderful things that that animal brought into my life and that that animal taught me because all my animals teach me something. Um, but, you know, those are, that's how I work towards acceptance. When I have a loss, you know, I look at what can I learn from it and how did it, how did it enhance my life in some way? Um, and then clients need to decide whether they're going to change part of the situation to make it more tolerable. And if so, how can they do that? You know, if they don't like where they work um, and there's a really crappy situation, high stress, high infighting, all that kind of stuff. All right. You may not be able to quit that job right now. So how can you change part of the situation to make it tolerable? And how can you change your reaction to the situation when there is infighting? Um, one of my, uh, one of my clients had a place where there was a lot of infighting and she ended up just getting a, a, a ball cap, a plain ball cap and writing on it in permanent marker made this picture of a road, um, and, and put it on her head whenever she'd start feeling, um, stressed out because of the infighting at work, uh, cause she felt like she was getting thrown under the bus and nobody really knew what that meant but it made her feel a little bit better. And she wouldn't obviously wear it around the office, but, you know, it would be her five minutes to be like, all right, it's all good, and moving on. That's not going to work for everybody, probably not a lot of people, but it worked for her. So how can you change your reaction to the situation so you don't take it so personally or you can look at it in, in the context? How else do you help your clients work towards acceptance? Acceptance is also one of those things that, you know, kind of goes along with forgiveness. A lot of people feel like if they accept something, that means that they're giving their power away. They're saying it's okay. And again, acceptance doesn't mean it's necessarily okay. Acceptance means that you're choosing not to devote a bunch more energy to it right now. Um, so sometimes we need to talk about what acceptance means. You, you don't have to like it. You just have to accept that it happened, or it is, and you may not be able to change it. Gratitude is another happiness habit. It can be easy to focus on all the things you don't have or what's not going right. And I think all of us, or most of us, fall into this trap every once in a while. We're like, I wish I had the CEO's job because then I could do all these different things to improve the organization or I wish I had a million dollars or I wish I had. Um, and, you know, we can get into that, but if you stop and look at what is it that you do have right now and are you getting your needs met? So gratitude for what's available um, is definitely important. Um, an attitude of gratitude helps people refocus on the positive so they can see that, all right, I may not be exactly where I wanted to be in life right now or in this project right now, but I do have all these things going for me. Or I may not be a millionaire movie star, but look at all the awesome stuff I've got in my life that they may not even have. Appreciate the simple things, flowers, um, butterflies, uh, Whatever it is, I saw in in Florida, we had lots and lots of lizards, and I love lizards. Um, we had fence lizards and skinks and little green anole lizards. Love those lizards. Um, I, I'm strange. It's okay. Uh, in Tennessee, we don't really have many lizards, and I saw two um, blue-tailed sk skinks the other day, and they have another name, like seven-lined something, but... In any event, they have this really neon blue tail. And I saw them the other day, and I was just so happy to see these two little lizards for no other reason than that they were, you know, and they're pretty awesome little critters. Um, so encourage people to look for and appreciate the little things. Um, you can have them keep a list each day of the simple things that brought them pleasure. You can have them brainstorm. And this is a fun one um, to do if you want to pl play the... Um, uh, a song from Sound of Music, uh, Raindrops on Roses, and yada, yada. Uh, what, is, what are your raindrops on roses? What are the little things that make you smile? They don't have to make your belly laugh, but you look at them and you're like, wow, that's cool. Rainbows, um, 
fluffy white clouds. What is it? And in a group, this can be a really fun activity because people start talking about it. And, you know, when I say lizards, they usually like bust out laughing and that's okay. Um, you know, it made them happy. One of the things they're grateful for is the ability to laugh at me and I'm grateful they can too. But uh, it helps a lot because we start seeing, when you start paying attention to it, you start seeing all the awesome little things. Letting go and envy and of of envy and jealousy is also a nice little side effect of gratitude. If you're grateful for what you have, you may be able to look at, you know, the, the movie stars or whomever on TV that are supposed to be, you're supposed to want to be like, and be like, you know what? I have my needs met right now and I am really stinking content. Um, so it's all good. Good for them that they've got whatever they do. Um, so it can help. Now it's, Again, sometimes there's self-esteem work and other stuff that needs to be done. But gratitude goes a long way to increasing happiness. Because even if one area of your life is a mess, it's likely that you have other things to be grateful for. So you can look around and go, all right, my work life right now is kind of in the toilet. Um, but, you know, my relationships with my family are good. I've got good health, you know. The bank is not threatening to take my house away or whatever the case may be. Um, and I use work as an example because a lot of people, that's one of their main stressors. Not to say that everybody has crappy work. You know, it can, work can be really awesome and some people love their jobs. But other activities, having people keep a gratitude list and encourage them to write at least one thing down each day that went well. So... You know, and sometimes they got to dig deep and be like, well, I didn't get into a car accident on the way home. Well, that's a good thing. You know, instead of taking for granted that you didn't get into a car accident, you're acknowledging it. Now, hopefully other good things happened, um, but you don't know. And uh, one, one of y'all shared that one of their favorite groups to do, especially around the holidays, is an attitude of gratitude. And that is so true. Because a lot of people, I was even watching a show yesterday, and they were talking, it was, they were talking about Thanksgiving, and everybody, they were trying to figure out where everybody was um, on, on Thursday, and everybody kept saying, well, I was at home with my family, it was Thanksgiving, wasn't everybody else? And I kept thinking to myself, no, there are a lot of people who don't have family to be with. Um, so somehow that got me depressed, but uh, encouraging people to focus, you know, instead of looking at what they don't have. Maybe they don't have that Warden June Cleaver family. Most people don't. Uh, so we can normalize that. But what is it that they do have? Um, for me, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, and I never want people to be alone on Thanksgiving. So I always open my doors. I'm like, if you have nowhere else to go, feel free. Um, and, you know, I usually have, you know, two or three of my friends end up at our house on Thanksgiving because that's what I do. You know, it's my favorite holiday and I hate to see people sitting alone and feeling bad. But not everybody necessarily feels bad, you know. Um, if they work on that attitude of gratitude, they might be just fine going to a restaurant for Thanksgiving dinner. Um, other activities. Look around and compare yourself to others who are not doing as well and or are the you in the past. So sometimes clients are, start getting frustrated. They've hit a plateau. They're not hitting that happiness mark that they wanted. Um, encouraging them to look backwards and say, you know, what was, what was it like six weeks ago? Look how far you've come. So they can be grateful and they can pat themselves on the back for how, much, how far they've come um, or six months ago or whatever it is. And looking at other people who are struggling with depression or anxiety. I mean, there are some people who can't leave their house. As my grandfather got older, he developed wicked agoraphobia. And it was always painful, uh, you know, psychologically for me to, you know, kind of witness that because my grandmother would go out to the, to the store or whatever, and he would lose his stuffing. He would pace the floor until she got back. And he had it down to the minute. And if she wasn't back in 27 minutes or whatever it was, he would, his anxiety level would go through the roof. And, you know, of course, I'm not going to try to talk him down and, you know, do therapy, but, it, you know, trying to talk with him during that period, he was just in a tizzy. Um, so recognizing, not that I'm saying that, that was good, but helping people recognize that, yeah, 
your anxiety, it sucks. Your depression, not where you want to be. I hear that. However, look how far you've come, um, or maybe they're just starting treatment. Let's look at other people who aren't doing as well and think and try to be grateful for, you know, having energy to get here this morning and the mental faculties to, to drive and operate a vehicle and that kind of stuff. Um, so sometimes you have to dig deep to help people um, find that gratitude, partly because they're out of the habit of gratitude. Now, compassion is the next one, and compassion means, being, means a sympathetic awareness of others' distress and a desire to alleviate it. Well, I'm going to add to that a sympathetic awareness of your own distress and a desire to alleviate it, because a lot of people are compassionate with others and not compassionate with themselves. Um, but so we talk about what does compassion mean? Um, and, and many people were raised to think that if they were compassionate with themselves and they gave, cut themselves some slack, it meant they were lazy, weak, or a failure, or they thought other people were judging them. Um, maybe in, the, uh, in their family of origin, if they cut themselves slack, they got a lot of heat for it. You know, that wasn't acceptable. Um, and not to say that that was right or wrong, but then we want to look in the present and say, what does it mean to be compassionate with yourself? Um, and look at whether you're being compassionate, as compassionate with yourself as you are with others. Um, one activity I have them do is to think of three times they've been compassionate in the past week. Who are they compassionate to? Why? Why did they deserve your compassion? Um, and how did it impact them? You know, and it may not have impacted them at all that they noticed. Um, if you were nice to a cashier or you held the door open for somebody. Um, it does, doesn't have to be a big thing, but just little acts of compassion can go a long way to brightening someone else's day or at least keeping it on the right path. And then I ask clients to think, how are you compassionate to yourself? And if you're not, how could you be? Um, and this is one of those kind of sticky things that we get into because a lot of clients have never really thought about being compassionate with themselves, being kind to themselves. Um, so sometimes we have to revisit this on, on, in repeated sessions when they start in, uh, when we're talking in counseling and they start beating themselves up and being critical and non-compassionate or uncompassionate. Um, I go back to this and the happiness habit. How would it change your mood and your feeling um, if you were compassionate with yourself, what would it mean if you were compassionate to yourself in this situation? Um, what else do you do to inspire compassion for self or others in your clients? And do you have a better way of teaching it about what is compassion and how can you be compassionate? Breathing and laughter. Like I said earlier, breathing, definitely a happiness habit. You're not going to be too happy. You ain't breathing. Um, but deep breaths help oxygenate the blood and reduce fatigue. A lot of us, um, and I can kind of speak more of American culture, I don't know about other cultures, but a lot of us tend to be chest breathers. Um, we take more rapid, shallow breaths. We don't take those really deep inhale breaths, which are good at helping oxygenate our blood. Um, and when we get oxygen deprived and our body needs more oxygen, you know what we do? We yawn. One of the main reasons people yawn is not because they're actually sleepy tired, but because they're feeling groggy because they don't have enough blood oxygenation. So encourage people when they start feeling tired to take some deep breaths. But, you know, sometimes it just helps to take deep breaths because it, you know, gives you, a little, gives you a little boost of energy. And I don't know about you guys, but if I take four or five deep breaths, like when the doctor's listening to my heart, I am dizzy. Um, and I'm like, oh, that's fun. Um, anyway, slow deep breaths also help lower heart rate and trigger the relaxation response. If you're breathing slowly and your heart rate slows down, then your brain goes, oh, I guess we're in relaxation time now. You know, it kind of catches on and starts sending out the, uh, the GABA and the, and the um, serotonin to help you chill. Laughter not only makes you breathe deeper, um, think about a good belly laugh. Uh, you may laugh until you can't breathe, but then you'd have that big, <gasps> and you start laughing again. Um, 
it all, not only makes you breathe deeper, but it also releases endorphins. So encourage clients to laugh, whether it's at you or with you. And I tell them to take that same attitude, to help people laugh either at them or with them. Um, whatever it is, just make the world laugh. How much more awesome would it be if we were focused on trying to make each other laugh? Activity. Practice deep breathing after each meal. That'll kind of help you wake up a little bit. Um, after you eat, your body tries to slow down a little bit so it can digest. It's called rest and digest. But if you got to go back to work, you don't really have time to rest. So deep breathing can help a little bit. And schedule in. Yeah, make an, appo an appointment with yourself to laugh for 10 minutes every day. Um, and what makes you laugh is going to be different. It can be comedy skits. It can be television shows, books you're reading. I, I don't really care. Um, you know, sometimes when, uh, I'm, when I'm in a situation where I can, I will go observe animals that are at the rescue. Because when they play, it's funny. I mean, they're just they're cute little kittens and puppies and dogs and whatever. Um, I had a... Uh, therapist that worked under me at one place that I worked who um, would put on like clown garb if things started getting too stressful it was a residential unit if things started getting really stressful or, or unpleasant for whatever reason around the unit he and normally he was squared away former military you know he'd put on his clown wig and his big clown shoes and his medical jacket and he would just go walking down into the main uh, main area of the day room and people would bust out laughing. Oh, he also had a little horn that he'd squeak at people. Um, and they'd be like, Anthony, what in the world are you doing? But it made people at least smile. So encouraging people to figure out what helps you laugh, um, what helps you smile. Purposeful action and long-term goals. When you see that you're moving toward your long-term goals, it inspires hope. You're like, oh, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Each small step toward a rich and meaningful life can make you feel happier. You're like, all right, I'm making progress. It's not perfect yet, but progress, not perfection. Um, for one of you shared, having clients um, speak to their own intrinsic values about what's most important to them in life um, can help them identify what is worth spending their energy on, what is purposeful to them. Purposeful action means using their energy to do things to achieve their goals, not just because, um, and focusing on the things that they can control. So thinking back toward, uh, like, social media. You know, you get on there, somebody is posting and just kind of being ugly. Um, you can use your energy to get into a, a posting war with them, but is that helping you move towards your goals? Is that serving a functional purpose? Um, and can you control that person? Because it's probably just going to be back and forth until one of you blocks the other. Um, or at least that's what I seem to, have, uh, seem to have witnessed. But so it's important to figure out, is this worth my energy? What can I use my energy for right now instead that might help me work towards those things that are most important to me in life? So having them define what a rich and meaningful life means, you know, what does happiness mean? Like, label it whatever you want. And have them identify three small changes they can make today to move closer to that life. Or even one small change. I don't care. Um, but I want them to have the um, inspiration and the excitement of, oh, there's something I can do. I can start moving forward towards this, um, which will start getting that motivation train going. So back talk, and we're talking about internal critics here and negativity. So, you know, think about how you inspire your clients to talk back. The internal critic and ingrained habits can cause people a lot of distress. So it's not just that critic inside that is telling you you're not good enough or you're lazy or you're stupid. It's also the ingrained habits that people start to get ready to smoke a cigarette or go stress eat or um, throw a temper tantrum about something. And backtalk means telling yourself or telling the critic, we're not going there right now. Choosing happiness means quieting the negativity and changing the behaviors. So in terms of the internal critic, it's possible 
and, and people feel a little weird doing it at first and you don't have to do it out loud or you can, I don't care. Um, telling the internal critic to be quiet and just pushing away those negative thoughts and going, you know what? I'm not thinking about that right now. And I think a lot of us, when we start thinking about, you know, I'm not thinking about that right now, we do do the push away gesture. So have clients practice doing that. I'm, oops, I'm not going to think about that right now. Um, and telling yourself no when you start to engage in unhelpful habits, such as unnecessary conflict or, or smoking or stress eating or um, whatever it is. So encouraging clients to talk back to themselves and go, no, this is not going to happen. Um, or I'm not going to think about that right now. Maybe you've got, you're waiting on test results to come back. I always hate that when you go to the doctor and you have tests run and then they're like, okay, we'll get back to you in three to five business days. And I'm like, no, no, not three to five business days now. But then you start perseverating or you can start perseverating over it for those three to five business days, which does no good, but wastes a lot of energy and causes angst where there may not even be a need for any. So encouraging clients when they start finding something they're perseverating on that they can't control to push that thought away. You know, I, there's no point thinking about that for right now. I'm going to push it away and I'll deal with it when I get the test results back. Thought conditioning. Most of us, um, oh, are there any ways, other ways that you guys have thought of for helping clients um, encourage themselves to change behaviors or quiet that internal critic? Thought conditioning kind of goes along with quieting the internal critic, you know, choosing not to think about the negative stuff, but thought conditioning encourages people to see the bright side or the silver lining instead of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, so just like conditioner softens your hair, thought conditioning softens your thoughts by, don't you love that metaphor? Sorry, I couldn't resist. It helps you look for the positive in things. So yeah, there may be some really stuff going on right now and we'll go back to the test results you're not feeling well um the doctor took uh the, the doctor took blood or whatever ran a bunch of tests you're not going to find out for three to five days so um you know you're you're worried that something might really be wrong yada yada well look for the positive You've gone to the doctor, you've started taking steps, and hopefully the doctor has enough bedside manner to assure you that, you know, whatever it is, is most likely treatable, yada, 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 and stay off the internet. <laughs> um, because the internet always comes up with the worst possible scenarios for what it could be. So encouraging clients to look for the positive in it. You know, it's, it's unpleasant, but there are things. And how can you embrace it as a challenge? Walk the middle path, you know, looking for, and this goes with looking, looking at the positive, accepting both and. This can really suck now, and I can get through it. And eliminate co cognitive distortions. Um, I encourage a lot of my clients, I have a list of cognitive distortions that we go through and we talk about. I do a psychoed group on it. But then I encourage them to keep that list with them. Um, and when they start having a stressful moment, to review the list and think, am I personalizing? Am I um, making a mountain out of a molehill? Am I using emotional reasoning instead of factual? Um, and they just go down through the list and a lot of times they'll hit on one and they'll go, yeah, you know, I am doing that right now. And then they can intervene. Um, thought stopping is another good technique to silence the inter in internal critic or if there are things that are out of your control. Practicing techniques to help you stop thinking about it. Um, another technique that I use when I drive over bridges, because y'all know I'm afraid of them, um, is I sing the ABCs or I say Hail Marys. You know, those are two things that I can pretty much say in my sleep. Um, but they get me across the bridge. So I'm not thinking about, oh, crap, you know, if the bridge collapses while I'm on it, yada, yada. Um, and it helps me get over the bridge Intellectually, I know it's an irrational fear, but for whatever reason, it's still there. And be sensational. Your moods are largely impacted by your environment. And this one, I really want you all to think about different ways you help your clients improve their environment in order to improve their mood. Um, I am always open for, for creative suggestions. 
what smells make your client happy? And it doesn't have to be just essential oils. Um, Memory-related smells. When I was little, we used to make these little sachet things with an orange and cloves that were stuck into it, and it, they would dry. And I don't know what they're called. I finally found a recipe for them online um, the other day, and we're going to make some of them. But the smell of the citrus and the cloves together reminds me of my childhood. The smell of pine saw reminds me of my grandma's house. So there are different smells um, that you can put in your environment to make it. So when you smell them, you're like, oh, I remember that. That's a good thing. And it makes you smile. When, when you smile, your body is triggering a happy response. Your brain is going, oh, there's something pleasurable because the, the corners of the mouth are drawn up. So, you know, let's put in a little dopamine here. Um, it's, it's not going to make people feel elated, but it's definitely a good place to start. What sights make you happy? Um, and I kind of, I'll go backwards here. Some people, you know, they can have disorganization. It doesn't bother them. Drives me nuts. So organization helps. It may not be the whole house, but if it's what I can see, I'm good. So like my kids just keep their door closed and I'm okay with that as long as they can live in their respective environments. But the common areas need to be straightened. What colors make you happy? My daughter gets on me a lot because I am an earth tones. And more to that, I'm a brown tones type of person when it comes to decorating. I don't do bright colors. I don't do splashes. Um, and she's like, Mom, you got to put a little jazz into it. Um, and you know, she's right. I mean, she's great at interior design, but it's hard for me to move past the brown tones. Um, but that makes me happy. So, and it helps me feel calm. I couldn't, I wouldn't want to be in a room that was painted navy blue or canary yellow. So thinking about what colors make you happy and how you can introduce them, either through throw pillows or vases or pictures, you don't necessarily have to paint the walls or change your furniture. And what pictures can you put around? That make you smile whether it's you know sayings that you put on the wall a lot of people are doing that now or um, you know pictures of your family pictures of your kids uh, maybe you like hiking so you could have pictures of different hiking trails all over the world whatever makes you happy and you look at it and you feel relaxed and content what sounds make you happy birds chirping okay um, music certain types of music you know maybe you can Pipe that through the house. Uh, does the sound of water make you happy? Water running through a brook. You can actually go online on YouTube and find several like eight-hour tracks of babbling brooks or waterfalls or thunderstorms, um, you know, monkeys in the jungle, whatever background sound you like, if you don't happen to have a noise machine that does that. But pay attention to all your senses. What feelings or touch makes you happy? Like a warm fireplace. I always like the feel of the warmth from a fire. Um, a thick Angora sweater. Not a thin one, but one of those real big, fluffy, super soft sweaters that you just want to hunker down in. Um, or cool silk on a warm summer day. Um, so thinking about what things make you happy. I know if I wear a wool sweater and it's itchy, it makes me irritable. So even things that are just, you know, tactile... Um, can influence our mood. Encourage clients to pay attention to that and play to those strengths. So I have people talk about how they can integrate these things into their home, their car, and their workspace. Um, and we pick one in, in group usually, and then I have them do the other two as homework. Um, but talking about like smells, uh, you can put um, air freshener sheets in your drawers. Um, you can Put essential oils on cotton balls and put those in your drawers. You can put sachets on the door handles. So every time somebody opens and closes a door, it spreads the odor. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things. When I put my uh, sheets away, I usually put a towel that has um, a, a little washcloth that has essential oil on it between the sheets. That way, when I pull it out, they're kind of still scented because the uh, fabric softener is long worn off. Um, what else do you do to have your clients improve their environment? One thing I didn't put on here is feng shui. And you can do feng shui for dummies. You can Google it and find a lot of tips and techniques. 
for improving um, your environment to help improve your mood and improve your energy. And a lot of the things kind of make sense. I mean, some of them you may not do, like putting the seat to the toilet down, um, or not just the seat, but the lid to the toilet down, and uh, closing doors so there's open flow of energy throughout the space. Um, but there are a lot of, they talk a lot about color as well um, in feng shui. So it's something that clients can latch onto. It's something that they can do pretty simply. I mean, they can get really involved and get consultants and everything. But a lot of times, it's a matter of looking at their environment and figuring out, when I walk in this environment, what is it that makes me go, eh, instead of, ah. Um, when we talk about the car, a lot of people spend a lot of time in their car. So although you may not be able to change everything, um, making sure it smells good, making sure that, you know, the sight is appealing, um, and anything else that can make you happy, like, you know, I always have playlists on my phone that I play whenever I'm driving, so I don't have to listen to commercials and stuff I don't want to listen to. Um, but encouraging them to figure out how to make their environment awesome. Peer pressure. Surround yourself with positive people. Positive people can often help you condition your thoughts, provide support, and are more encouraging. So if you're around a positive person and you're like, oh, this day sucks, a positive person is probably going to help you reframe that. Um, and like, likewise, you know, positive attracts positive. So if you're in a positive mood or if you're around someone positive, you're probably more likely to try to um, present things po more positively. Um, another thing that, that one of you has suggested for um, being sensational is that soft lighting can help a calming, create a calming, peaceful mood. Harsh fluorescent lights, not so much. Um, now, there's a time and a place for bright lights um, to help keep people energized, especially when the days are a lot shorter. But, um, you know, definitely the, the soft white bulbs, the calming light can be, can help people relax more, feel more peaceful. Um, and, and, and you also suggest having clients identify a happy place like the beach and how to recreate that in some different places. So if one of your happy places is the beach, how can you decorate your bathroom or your bedroom in a way that is reminds you of that place what kind of pictures can you put up maybe you can have a little basket of seashells um i'm not an interior designer but you can figure out what does it for you to help you recreate that and maybe if you're lucky find something that makes a smell that's similar to um uh similar to that and you suggest having some beach sand there so true beach sand does you know kind of retain a smell so that's another great way if you have if you can associate back to something and use as many senses as possible sight touch smell um etc um, going back to positive people positive people um can condition your thoughts negative people tend to drain energy and enhance a feeling of helplessness and hopelessness i have a couple people in my life that are negative nellies and you know i just have to take a deep breath before I go interface with them um, because they just see the world as going into a handbasket and, you know, everything is death, doom, and destruction. And I'm like, you know what? Not so much. Um, but it, it's with these particular people, it's not the time to be Pollyanna and go, well, let's look at the bright side or let's look at the other op options for why this might be happening except for people are awful. Um, energy and conversations and relationships is contagious. Think of a person you know who's extremely negative. How do you feel when you see them calling? And how do you feel after spending time together? Likewise, I have people think about a person they know who's extremely positive. And how do you feel when you see their calling and after spending time together? Um, encouraging clients to really recognize how the person in the room that they're interfacing with can affect the entire environment and affect the energy of the environment and their energy. Forgive. Resentment, regret, and guilt are natural responses to a threat. So it is. But what can we do to improve the next moment? Holding on to these feelings drains your energy, just like trying to get hold of 
a dog who doesn't walk well on, on a leash, you know, and I have been drug around by my fair share of very large dogs. The feeling is telling you something bad happened and you need to fix it or protect yourself. But then you've got to decide, okay, what now? What do I do to address this situation instead of being stuck on this happened and it stinks? This happened and it stinks. Okay, what now? So I encourage clients to think about something they're resentful about and think about how does holding on to the resentment help protect them? They're holding on to it for a reason. They're, they're, and, and it's usually a protective reason so they don't get hurt again. What would happen if you let go of the resentment? What are you afraid of? And how can you forgive the person or yourself so it stops draining your energy? And we talk about, again, forgiveness being a power move. You are choosing to tell this person, you know what? That's not worth my energy anymore. Instead, you're not saying it's okay. You know, never mind, no big deal. You're saying, I'm choosing not to give my precious energy to that issue anymore. And project happiness or fake it till you make it. When you walk hunched over looking at the ground, they've done studies. You feel more depressed. But you also miss some of the simple pleasures, except the lizards. The lizards are on the ground. Um, but you miss the birds. You miss the flowers. You miss the bumblebees. Um, and you miss opportunities to positively engage with people because you're not making eye contact. Um, you're, you're looking at the ground or you're looking at your phone and you're hunched over. Your body just kind of senses distress. So sit and walk sitting up. Try to practice your posture. Look up from your phone um, instead of always being down like this. Look up and around. Meet people. Make eye contact and smile. You know, not everybody's going to smile back. But for the people that do smile back, you made a difference in their day. And even for the ones that don't smile back, you probably got them thinking. And I ask people to think for themselves, how else can you project happiness so others can tell that you're happy? Because happiness is contagious. It doesn't magically happen, though. By choosing habits, hap, nah, choosing habits that promote happiness, people can start feeling happier. They're choosing happiness over distress. Their thoughts, emotions, and physical sensations and environment all contribute to their mood. So in order to choose happy, it's important, just like when we uh, treat issues, we look at it biopsychosocially. Um, when you're choosing happy and trying to um, get more out of it uh, or get, get more out of your treatment, be less depressed, it's important to look at your emotions, your physical sensations. How are you feeling? You know, it's still kind of biopsychosocial. Um, happiness is multifaceted. So choose happy. Okay, um, so I appreciate y'all's participation. You had some great suggestions. Uh, the PowerPoint is in the class. Um, if it's not, it should be. Um, if it's not, it will be in about two minutes. And uh, then you can, you can print that out. The replay, if you want to go back and look at this again, will be uploaded optimistically uh, tomorrow afternoon, but definitely by Saturday morning. So, uh, you know, if you want to retune and whatever, then you can do that. Um, are there any other questions? Hang on. Told you I was going to try this today. Let's see how, how it works. And for those of you who are um, needing to go, you don't have to stay for the Q&A section. There we go. I'll get shorter. Okay, you should be able to unmute yourself now if you have anything else that you want to say. Otherwise, um, everybody have an awesome weekend, and uh, I hope fall is starting to reach its little fingers to where you are, and I will see you on Tuesday. No, I can't hear you yet. Let's see. How about um, now? Still looks like everybody has themselves muted. Hmm. About now? There. Unmute all worked. Let's see. I still can't hear anything. But Good. Can you hear us? I can hear you. Oh, very good. 
All right. Well, typical me and tech. I cannot hear. Can you hear me? Oh, hey, maybe that's it. I accidentally pulled the cord out. Oh, I can hear now. Hey, what a concept. <laughs> There we go. I got enough. I got okay. enough length just to choke myself now. Um, we have go ahead. Lisa, Lisa, and Jennifer on the line with you. Okay. Correct. Do y'all have any other questions? Are you, uh, Don? Are you able to hear me? Yes, I am. Okay, great. Um, my name is Lisa Monica Russ. I'm a licensed social worker um, supervisor at the Long Beach VA Medical Center. Um, I work with a homeless population, and I think our focus, of course, every day is so much establishing permanent housing for homeless veterans. Um, I think that my question or line of thinking is in the area of how do I help my staff get to a different place of communication with their, with their veterans when every day what is minimally um, the, the goal, if you will, is to obtain permanent housing. Once the veteran is permanently housed, I would have to say that that's what, what is the goal, the experience sought in terms of happiness. Um, but I think that there's more to it then. It's not solely the permanent housing, but it's the experience with that housing. And one of our other objectives, of course, is to help the veteran maintain the housing, sustain the housing. Um, how, you know, I, get, I guess one of my questions is, how do I work with my staff to embrace these concepts, um, share them with our veterans that are in the process of being housed and sustaining housing, without sounding patronizing, if you will, because their, their um, need is, I think, so much greater than the general public. Sure. And so how do we, you know, how do we share these concepts and facilitate communications that then do not prompt a easy to say, e easy for you to say, um, you don't live my life. Do you know what I mean? Right. And, and, you know, there's, often going to be some blowback from it and helping client clinicians and i'm sure they already are quite skilled at doing this at saying you know you are right and the strength that you have to have to live your life you know i can't imagine how strong you've had right. to be um right and encouraging them the, the veterans um not by saying you know, let's look at all the other things in your life that are going well. Um, but hopefully the, the clinician is tuned into that veteran enough to, to know some of the things that are going well so they can say, you know, well, tell me about how things are going with your, with your spouse right now or with, you know, and there may not, I mean, if they're homeless, um, a, a lot of the homeless veterans I worked with didn't have a spouse that they were in touch with at least so that wasn't necessarily a place to go um but we also talk in general um having them identify one or two things uh that are starting to go better you know you know i'm really curious as mm -hmm. to um what might be turning around for you or what do you hope is going to um change in the next week because um, my guess is that they're working on some depression, anxiety, PTSD, some kind sure. of yep. mental health issues. So inquiring about how that's going and congratulating them when they make progress, even if your clinician is not the one providing the mental health treatment, um, they're the ones that are doing the housing, um, showing that you care and or that, that they care and they're involved goes a long way um has been my experience uh at when the program that i worked at in florida the veterans went to the va for their mental health treatment but then they came back to our facility for housing and addiction education and, and stuff like that and they lived with us um so reaching out and asking how it was going um 
often made a difference. And then pointing out, because a lot of times they minimize their successes, and, and pointing out how well they're doing in treatment or in the process, or even dealing with all the frustrations of the bureaucracy, you know, um, and, and pointing out how strong they are. That's what we did. I, I can't say that that's necessarily, you know, the best and brightest way. Another thing that um, might work is to have handouts out and about or have happiness tips, if you will, posted maybe on the back of the um, bathroom stalls. So I guess um, so people can see them somewhere that they can see them and it, and it hits their brain and they read it and they may not engage with it right away, but it may be something that, you know, at one o'clock in the morning when they're awake, they start thinking about that stupid thing that they read when they were at the clinic and then they go with it at that point when they're, you know, got nothing better to do. Um, yeah. So, so that's another way to sort of indirectly make it available to them so they're seeing it all the time. Um, having your staff model choosing happiness can also be a great thing. Yeah. Um, and if yeah. when, when there's a housing rejection, you know, I know for us, and, and I'm sure for, for your people too, I'm making assumptions, that, you know, it's devastating. It's like, really, I thought we had that. I was so excited for John that he was going to get housing, and then it, it fell through. Um, right. But sharing that, um, sharing that sense of frustration, you know, with the client saying, you know, I thought we had this. I know this is devastating. Right. Um, but then showing them how they can choose happiness from there and walk the middle path, um, moving mm -hmm. them out of that angry place um, can also be helpful. Um, so actually talking, talking it out while they're doing it, like, you know, I know staying angry about this isn't going to help you get housing. So let's figure out, okay, what next? Let's figure out what to do um, with the clients. How do you define what walk the middle path when you say walk the middle path? That is accepting a both and. Um, you can get turned down for housing and still have hope. Um, mm -hmm. You can experience rejection and still turn it into a success. Um, so accepting the fact that, if you will, there's a silver lining. Um, or, you know, when there are two opposing opinions that both of you can potentially be right. But in this particular case, I'd be looking for the, um, for the way to help them hold on to hope and motivation and, and moving forward. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Sure. Anything else, Jennifer? Okay, y'all. Well, have a wonderful weekend. And if you have any other questions or thoughts, feel free to email me. Um, and it's dr.snipes at allceus.com. Um, and I will see you next week. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe either in your podcast player or on YouTube. You can attend and participate in our live webinars with Dr. Snipes by subscribing at allceus.com slash counselor toolbox. This episode has been brought to you in part by allceus.com, providing 24-7 multimedia continuing education and pre-certification training to counselors, therapists, and nurses since 2006. Use coupon code counselor toolbox to get a 20% discount off your order this month.